Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 23rd of January 2022, 11 o'clock service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, King David, the good, the bad and the ugly, the outlaw. So yeah, David, the outlaw. Um, after Jesus, David is probably the person who has the most amount of content devoted to him in the Bible. His life is fascinating and makes us some incredible biblical narrative. Um, the events of his life you know, would surely warrant the biggest and best kind of biblical epic film to be made. You've got Jesus, uh, so you've got David as a young boy defeating Goliath, becoming a soldier and leading the armies and marrying into Saul's family and an anointed king and becoming king and dying and everything happening. It's just an incredible amount of stuff that happens. Unfortunately, um, with the exception of David and Bathsheba, made in 1951, the main biblical epic film that has been made about the life of David is pretty terrible. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen the 1985 film King David, uh, starring Richard Gere in the lead role and Edward Woodward as a very convincing soul, but it's really bad. Um, if you just want to be sight confused and disappointed for two hours and be my guest and go home and watch it. Uh, I had to watch it as part of a course I did at university and I seem to recall that was a really long afternoon. Uh, seriously, you're probably better off watching the VeggieTales version of uh, David's life, the catchily named Dave and the Giant Pickle. Uh, actually, I wouldn't really recommend either of those if you want a comprehensive um, film showing the events of David's life. If you really want to know about it, Read the accounts in the Bible. Read 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles. And they will really show you and tell you the story of David. And you see this amazing account of an extraordinary life. A life that is full of ups and downs. And it's to this theme that we turn today as we examine this episode in David's life when he was effectively an outlaw, forced into hiding. And despite being a very bad and at times ugly episode of David's life, it's a time that undoubtedly brought out the very good in him. Now, about a dozen years ago, uh, a few of us from Christchurch went to hear the contemporary Christian theologian and author Rob Bell uh, speak. He was doing a tour to promote his new book at that time called Drops Like Stars. And um, it was a book which focused on suffering, yet creativity that comes out of suffering. And at some point during the talk, he asked people to write on a piece of card that we'd all been given, I know how you feel. And then Rob asked some human suffering type questions, such as how many of you have been directly affected by cancer? How many of you have been betrayed? How many of you have a stack of bills that you don't know how you're going to pay them? And with each of those questions, Rob had asked us to make eye contact with someone. And if they too had experienced that same um, bad thing in life that we had, then we would swap our cards with them. The cards would say, I know how you feel. It was a really effective way of seeing that we weren't alone in our past and present sufferings, and that others had experienced them too. And it was that evening, um, some 12 years ago, that made me think about how relatable 
the period in David's life that we're thinking about today could be to all of us. You know, not that many of us will find ourselves in a situation where we're confronted with a giant warrior that we have to kill with a sling and a stone. In fact, no, none of us will ever find ourselves in a situation where we're confronted with a giant warrior that we have to kill with a sling and a stone. Uh, not many of us will... None of us will find ourselves in a situation where we're anointed king of Israel. But many of us will have, or may still find, that our lives can be completely turned upside down by unexpected events. We might have had our comfort, our security shattered. We'll possibly have to face illness, unemployment. But it's in those times that we really can start to appreciate just what God can do. So what did happen to David after he defeated Goliath and up until he became king? Uh, well, it might sound, you know, like it would have been a pretty straightforward progression from hero soldier who slayed Goliath to rule of the nation. You know, he goes, kill Goliath, in charge of armies, marry into the king's court, become king. But it wasn't that smooth. It didn't happen like that. When the people of Israel were crying out for a king to lead them, the prophet Samuel warned them that an earthly king would not be the answer to their problems. God was to be the only thing that was sovereign in their lives. An earthly king would ultimately reject God's authority and not submit his kingship to God. Instead, becoming self-centered, selfish, corrupted by power. And all of these things came to pass with Saul. So here's a whistle-stop tour of what happens in the interim period that we're looking at, some sort of 13, 14 chapters, which I've called David, the wilderness years. So firstly, uh, Saul started to get really jealous and fearful of David. He had been a fairly well-liked king initially, but no more. And instead, the people uh, loved David. They worshipped him, respected him, and crucially, the Bible tells us, God was with David. So Saul, whilst overcome in a moment uh, by an evil spirit, tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. Uh, when all David is doing, frankly, is just playing his lyre nice and soothingly to calm Saul down. That's gratitude for you. But thankfully, David evades this attempt on his life by Saul. And Saul realises that the Lord is with David, and he has to up his game to get him. So he offers David his daughter Mera's hand in marriage if he will go and fight fiercely against the Philistines and therefore hopefully die in the process. Initially, David refuses. But when Saul's second daughter, Michal, is offered up instead, David agrees. Except this time, Saul thinks, right, now I can really, really trap David here. He says, I, I, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but there is a price. 200 Philistine foreskins, in case you're wondering. Um, now, Saul figures that David's attempts to somehow you know, attain, obtain this gruesome dowry um, that will result in the Philistines becoming like, enraged. They think, how could David desecrate us like this? Let's really consolidate our efforts and kill him. Except it doesn't happen. David succeeds and presents this unique dowry to his future father-in-law and marries Michal. Saul once again realises that the Lord is very much with David. You'd have thought he'd have kind of picked up on that now. So he realises there's really only one thing he can do, and once again he tries to pin David to the wall with a spear, um, when he's doing nothing more offensive than playing his lyre to calm Saul. It's, it's, uh, this is something Saul has a habit of doing. It's the third time later on he tries to chuck his spear at someone and misses. 
If you're on a darts team, you don't want to be with Saul. Three for three, aim, miss. Not going to happen. Um, it's almost sort of Shakespearean, it feels like. You've got this um, increasingly jealous of king. A failed attempt at li- taking someone's life. You've got love. You've got tragedy. So it's actually, thinking about time-wise, you could probably say that instead of the Bible being Shakespearean, Shakespeare's biblical. Anyway, um, for another sermon. Uh, David, again, fortunately, evades this attempt on his life. And this time, he does realise, better not hang around anymore. And he um, has to flee, leaving behind everything. But the Lord is with him. David has his closest friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, help him escape. And he flees to a place called Nob, where he and his small band of men who have joined him, all of whom are starving then, are fed with consecrated bread by one of the priests there. Later on, when Saul finds out about this, uh, he unfortunately has all the priests at Nob killed. So David has to flee again. You can see a sort of pattern emerging here. And this time he finds himself in the hands of uh, the king of Gath, where the king's men realize who David is. And David fears, okay, if the king realizes that he's got me, this person Saul's looking for, he might hand him over to Saul to gain favor with him. So to get out of it, David pretends to be mad. He starts scratching at the walls and doors. And this is literally in the Bible, starts dribbling down his beard. Uh, And the king promptly sends him away in disgust, thinking he's just some raving lunatic. David lives to flee another day. Despite having to continuously be on the move, he and his small band of men somehow managed, in the midst of all this, to save the town of Cala uh, from being captured by the Philistines, uh, who must really hate David by now, Um, but not as much as Saul does, because Saul continues to pursue David. The Lord tells David that the people of Cala, who he's just saved, will in fact hand him over to Saul if he stays there. So he's forced to flee into the desert, where he and his men hide in a cave. And who should become wandering into that cave, desperately seeking a bit of privacy in order to answer the call of nature? None other than Saul himself. Here is his chance. David can kill Saul and stop having to live as an outlaw. He can take his place as the rightly anointed king of Israel. And yet he doesn't. He will not lay his hand against someone who has been anointed king. Instead, he creeps up on Saul in the darkness of the cave and cuts off a corner of his robe. He then follows follows Saul out of the cave and lets him know how he spared his life. And Saul is overcome with remorse and repentance for his behaviour and returns home. Yet David chooses not to. And he ends up marrying a woman who was living in the wilderness with her fairly nasty, abusive husband, uh, who had insulted David. But he only marries her after the Lord has struck him down dead. A short time passes, and despite his remorse and repentance, Saul Saul swiftly resumes his his jealousy in pursuit of David, who by this time is having grasped up by the Ziphites. And we get to the story that we heard in our first reading from 1 Samuel 26. Once again... David has this opportunity to end these continuous years of suffering and fear and disruption. And yet he doesn't. Throughout his time as an outlaw, David shows what it means to be a man after God's own heart. He trusts God. He converses with God. He doesn't moan and curse God, but instead calls out to him for help 
in the difficult times and then gets on with the life that he is living, knowing that whatever may happen, God is with him. It doesn't matter how many times he has to run, to flee, to hide, fearing for his life. He still gets on with living that life, knowing that God is with him. I think David's actions in the cave are frankly quite radical. The expectation from the man who came with him is that you know, there's this person trying to take David's life. And therefore that person is the enemy. And so if David has the opportunity to take his enemy's life and save his, would he best do it? All of that turmoil of the past few years would be over. But David shows mercy rather than vengeance. He still loves Saul, despite everything. And so he shows him forgiveness, even when it was not sought. That spear becomes symbolic of this contrast between these two men. On the one hand, the king, desired by the people, who soon rejected God's authority over him, and twice sought to kill an innocent man with that spear. And on the other, the divinely anointed king-in-waiting, who prevented the spear becoming the implement of execution of someone undeserving of such mercy. The parallels with the teaching and examples of Jesus some 1,000 years later are quite clear. But I think to really appreciate the significance of that moment, you do need to understand what David had gone through in those preceding years. That whistle-stop tour we briefly went through. In an instant, David's life that he knew and enjoyed was turned upside down. Yet it never says in the Bible that David moaned at God for the injustice of it all. It simply says that God was with David. David's life takes this series of unexpected twists and turns. In times of need, the Lord provides food for him and his men when he was starving, shelter from Saul's army when they needed somewhere to hide, quick-wittedness to avoid being handed over by the allies of Saul, and unexpected, albeit temporary, stability when he meets and ultimately marries Abigail. None of these things I think David could have possibly imagined would have come to pass while he was living in comfort, married to the king's daughter, in charge of an army, but in all those moments where his life has been completely turned upside down, David does what I think is one of the hardest things we can do. He doesn't give in to fear or despondency. He doesn't give up. He always trusts in the Lord. Psalm 57 uh, is believed to have been written by David when he was hiding in the cave the first time. And what really does strike me as amazing is that it starts off with him calling out to God for help, but he then moves to praising God excitedly. Awake, my soul, awake. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. David rejoices in these challenging times, praising God for deliverance before it's even happened. And that's such an amazing example for us. How many of us, when things go wrong, when our lives start to fall apart, when we quite understandably call out to God and say, God, why? Help me, please. 
how many of us could then easily turn our sorrow and our anguish into praise? I certainly don't remember doing that in the difficult times in my life. In those times when the things I held on to for comfort or security were suddenly gone. How do we do that? How do we have the confidence and assurance that David had that God was ultimately in charge and looking out for him? I don't know how much David really knew or understood about God's ultimate plan for our salvation, about how it would happen through his line of descendants. But that plan was what involved everything that happened in David's life. God's plan to bring about salvation involved those highs and lows for David. But in all those things, he praised God. This is the good David. This is the David who is a man after God's own heart. He trusts the God of Israel so implicitly that having to flee his wife, his home, or his city, it doesn't shake his faith in God's providence. David has more than one opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He trusts that God will be the judge between him and Saul and will deliver him. Time and time again, we see David play the role of the humble servant of God who doesn't assert himself until God opens the opportunity. Can you rejoice in the bad times? Can you praise God when things are going well and when things are falling apart? Good people suffer bad things. Jonathan helped David escape and yet he never got to see David become king. Instead, suffering and death at the hands of the Philistines when even David himself had joined the Philistines at that moment in an unexpected turn of events yet again. Things in life will go wrong. No one escapes this. This is a part of life. This is life. These are the terms and conditions it comes with. And yet, we are all still here, able to look back on our lives and all the extraordinary events that have taken place, the moments when our lives felt turned upside down and we found ourselves going in a completely different direction but in which you can now look back and see God was still there. When we exchange cards with one another at this Rob Bell event, the I know how you feel cards, Rob said that at the beginning of the tour, he expected people to look awkwardly at each other and maybe give a little grimace of acknowledgement. Like, yeah, I, my marriage broke up as well. I know how you feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. I know how you feel, yeah. But that wasn't the case. We found that people were smiling, laughing, joking almost as they did it. Oh, you're in mountains of debt too. Oh, here's a card exchange. I had cancer treatment at the same time last year as you, yeah. You've had how many interviews and can't get a job? I thought my 10 was pretty bad. It was this odd moment. But suddenly, for all those times in life that we'd felt suffering, we didn't feel that. Instead, we felt this kind of love and comfort and assurance that David knew. We didn't know what the outcome would have been, but we knew God was with us regardless. 
And that out of the suffering can come something that was new and unexpected. To quote Rob Bell um, from the corresponding book, we plot, we plan, we assume things are going to go a certain way. And when they don't, we find ourselves in a new place, a place we haven't been before, a place we never would have imagined on our own. It is the difficult and the unexpected, and maybe even the tragic, that opens us up and frees us to see things in new ways. Many of the most significant moments in our lives come not because it all went right, but because it all fell apart. Suffering does that. It hurts, but it also creates. There are endless opportunities in our lives to serve God, both in the good times and the bad. It's what we do with our lives that matters. Not just calling out to God in pain, but knowing that he already had a plan for our lives. One that came at a painful cost to him, but which gave us new life. And so we praise him for that. With our hearts and our voices, and above all, our actions. Awake, my soul. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, for great is your love.